Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for sitting down with me today. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. So obviously you've been in the, the data direct response um, mailing space for a very long time. For the audience that don't know much about you, can you share a little bit about your career journey? I know you've founded a few companies in the past and now yeah, you have a Yeah, I, uh, out of college I, uh, I started my own first uh, mailing list brokerage in, back in 1990. So uh, during that time we really, uh, that industry was strictly postal mail. And so during that time we were buying mailing lists, I was buying mailing lists and selling mailing list data using a fax machine. Um, I did that for about four years, ended up selling the company. I was going to transition to a different a real estate industry, um, but ended up getting back into it. I worked for another company for five years, learned a lot more about the industry as it developed and um, some of the things I didn't know pre previously, and then I started BB Direct in 2003. Mm. So what exactly do BB Direct do today? BB Direct is a uh, provider of data, usually in the form of a mailing list. It could be uh, direct mail marketing for postal, um, email, um, digital. So we, we help clients uh, that are reselling the data uh, to make best use of it. We'll enhance database information, we'll data hygiene, we'll clean the file so that the, the list is accurate and up-to-date and deliverable if it's a postal file. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of in a nutshell what we do today. We, we're, we're working with uh, uh, primarily resellers, but we do have an occasional uh, we call end user mailer and uh, company that will that will bring their data to, to enhance or to improve. Makes sense. Obviously, you've been in, in this space for quite some time. You said how, how, how far back was BB Direct formed? Uh, BB Direct was formed in 2003. Okay, so you've seen a lot of changes happening in the industry in those uh, in the recent years. So basically, uh, with the advent of technology, internet, and all those things that are happening very rapidly in, in, our, in our space, what have you seen in terms of how that's impacting your industry and, and the business that you're in? There's been a quite a few changes that have taken place since 2003, mm -hmm. um, but let's just say uh, the last 10 years, uh, uh, we, we found that uh, email was a real popular avenue, and then social media uh, became much more popular. That's the biggest change I've seen, is, is I've seen the uses of data and how people are using targeted uh, data for um, uh, reaching their audience. The probably the last uh, five to 10 years now, uh, we've seen more and more digital mm -hmm. use um, much more accurate and refined targeting targetability for um, for using that data to reach people on, a, on an on-screen platform mm -hmm. whether it's a website a social media YouTube and so so basically you've seen like the the, the, the one when it, when you got into the business it was mostly just one directional almost like hey you buy the list you send a direct mail piece and now you're supplementing that with multiple digital channels it almost seems like augmenting that with the email and possibly social channels to kind of increase the effectiveness of some of those direct mail, direct response campaigns? I see, personally, I see a lot of companies that uh, back in the day were just using it for, for mailing lists for uh, postal, mm -hmm. um, doing a direct mail campaign in the mailbox. And over time, I've seen companies uh, take that file, uh, enha enhance it with email data, using the postal information and email data to reach people s through social media, um, through YouTube, finding people uh, and reaching them online. Mm -hmm. So that was the biggest changes that, that I've, I've noticed. So we're, we're, we're working with clients and doing digital display ad placement. Um, we're using a variety of different technologies that just didn't exist mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Basically, you know, in the past, I mean, whenever they were doing direct mail, you really didn't have any insight into whether or not that person received it, what they did with it. 
Now you can almost see, like you can be using landing pages to send them to a specific offer page and then track the engagement there. And then also possibly using like display remarketing, things of that nature to, to, to increase the effectiveness of those, those direct, mail, direct mail campaigns. Yeah, I would say so. I would say um, uh, back, uh, back when I first got into this industry, mm -hmm. the direct mail industry is very measurable. Mm. Uh, you, can track, you can track a response by people redeeming their mm -hmm. uh, business reply or calling in or, um, or maybe going to a website, mm -hmm. driving traffic, using a postcard to get people on the web. But, and it's measurable to a degree, but uh, remarketing and um, reaching people in an integrated way where they're reaching them from uh, in, on direct mail, but also in a digital supplemental mm -hmm. uh, and combining that, that getting the synergy for, uh, to, to uh, complement each other. Um, I do see a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so I just it's a multi-channel, multi-touch approach as well. I mean, people need to be touched in multiple ways. I mean, it's, it's no longer a linear path to purchase, right? People might get a direct mail, then they go to the website to research, then they might look up some reviews online, and they might go to the social website, social profiles to see what are customers saying about this customer company or product. I mean, there's there's so many touch points that are happening. It's only it only makes sense that you can't just do one channel uh, for for reaching the customer. You kind of have to leverage all these different different mediums almost. Yeah, I think depending on the brand and and the and the industry. Um, you have to go where the people are. Mm -hmm. And some people are, are still responding very heavily and, and very much with a piece of mail, a tangible piece of mail that comes mm -hmm. through the mail, um, where others need to see it on the screen as well. They're spending more time on the screen. You have to make sure that they can see it. Mm -hmm. And the complement of the physical and the digital uh, is synergistically helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, we, do see a, we do see people benefiting from that way. I think that if you're, as an example, a car dealership, and you're only using direct mail, you're really limiting the effectiveness of that direct mail campaign mm -hmm. because a, an online a, a awareness and brand building supplemental campaign along with direct mail uh, has a synergistic effect. So I, and I do see that. I do see companies that are, that are testing one medium and then testing another one mm -hmm. and trying to compare which, which one, one is, is maybe better, driving yeah. better. But really, the complement of, of doing both at, at the same time is, has an effect that's, that's very beneficial. Yeah, and we see that in, in digital marketing as well. Sometimes the companies that we work with are kind of trying to separate the initiative uh, to try to see which, which channel attributes to the, the best conversion. But oftentimes, like when you stop Google Ads, maybe you don't immediately see a drop in leads and then you say, hey, Google Ad wasn't really contributing to the overall success of the campaign. But then over time, you start to see some decline in the overall effectiveness and then you realize, well, the Google Ad was actually was what got people to the website and then they came back organically. They saw the retargeting ads on, on social platforms and then gradually they decided to contact and purchase. And so you never gave true credit to Google Ads, but it was what actually got people to the website in the first place, right? So same way, I think direct mail could be a very good uh, channel, but if you don't, you don't supplement it with some additional channels, you may, you may miss, miss the, the opportunity there. Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of businesses will make is not being able to measure those changes, mm -hmm. uh, the effectiveness of one campaign over the other. And it, it's all about cost of new client activation. Mm. If, if you can determine what the cost is of finding a new customer, 
and what the value of that customer will be over the lifetime of having them buy or, you know, your products or services, mm -hmm. then you can then determine, okay, well, which is the best medium and, and how do I measure a complementary contributing two, two mediums, three mediums mm -hmm. all at the same time? There is a benefit to that. So that's kind of the secret sauce is uh, measurement, but you know, what is the response of this thing and then mm -hmm. what's the value? And then if you can reduce the cost of your new client activation, then you've got then you've got uh, an ability to improve on your your bottom line gross profit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a concept that I really enjoy when you talk about customer acquisition costs because a lot of times when you talk to business leaders, uh, they kind of underinvest in the business growth because they think of marketing as an expense and not necessarily really see the value of how you know each dollar you invest into it is going to help you in terms of acquiring a new customer. And if you don't really do a good job in measuring your marketing investment, how that directly impacts the number of leads generated, and then how many of those leads actually turn into opportunities, and you don't know your true uh, lifetime value of your customer, right? So you might just measure your first purchase and it almost seems like it's a wash. You know, they're buying this, you know, it's costing you to, to get them as much as they might spend with you on the first purchase, and then you feel like, well, it's not even really worth investing into it, but if you look at the overall lifetime value, and then you realize this customer is going to stay with me for next one year or two years or come back every year and buy the same product or more more of my offerings, then that lifetime value is a lot greater. So have you seen when you're talking to companies that you're you're offering these programs to, like do they under underinvest in the customer acquisition effort? Who are some of the companies you've seen like truly understand the value of a customer and invest accordingly to, to acquire new business? That's a good question. Um, we see a lot of different kinds of companies that are bringing uh, business to us and it's usually again in a form of a reseller. So mm -hmm. it might be an agency or mm -hmm. a print shop that's doing some very targeted direct mail campaign for, for a company. Mm -hmm. Their customers may have multiple segments of uh, buyers and customers. Well, let me give you an example of mm -hmm. my own company. Mm -hmm. um, I met, I, we in the past have done a lot of telemarketing mm -hmm. to printer letter shop type companies that buy and sell mailing list data. Mm -hmm. And so I could put a, a, I could target a price of what it costs for me to acquire a new customer mm -hmm. through telemarketing. And I, and I want to say that when I was doing uh, a lot of telemarketing, um, I had a staff of, of telemarketers, the cost to acquire a new customer was around $342, I want to mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, the cost of the telemarketer, making calls on the phone, reaching these different customers, and finally making that first order. So we have uh, resellers that buy data regularly, and they buy it for, for uh, a period of time. They, they'll maybe twice, a, maybe twice a week, twice a day, or maybe twice a month. Mm -hmm. And over time, they become much more of a, a, a valuable customer as, as they benefit from our services. Mm -hmm. And if they stay with us for six or seven years, we can actually determine what the lifetime value of that customer is. Mm -hmm. um, but if we also we also tested uh, end user telemarketing, mm -hmm. so it it was about the same. Three hundred and forty two dollars was the cost of acquiring uh, a new end user customer. The LTV but, was so low. But the but the lifetime value of that yeah. of that end user was significantly less. Mm -hmm. So that's that's primarily why we focused on just that one segment of the audience mm -hmm. because we could put more time and, and, and energy into finding and serving mm -hmm. that niche, the the reseller industry, where the uh, there's other types of businesses and services that we could focus on for the end user, mm -hmm. but they have to be uh, and they're but they're not quite as profitable because mm -hmm. end users traditionally they may mail or 
do a campaign or to be able to afford to do a campaign mm -hmm. maybe once mm -hmm. a year, twice a year, you know, once a quarter. So yeah, the, the lifetime value of a reseller, so I, back when I was studying this particular piece of it was around $1,800 in gross profit per mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. And if we kept them for, you know, seven, 10 years, and I still have customers that are, have been with me since 2003, mm -hmm. you know, it's a significant return on the investment for a telemarketer to make these mm -hmm. calls. But for an end user, when, you know, they might make a call and I want to say that the, that the, that the lifetime value of, a, of, a, of an end user, so to speak, an average mm -hmm. for us was about the same as the cost to actually capture them. Wow, yeah. So it didn't really pay off for us in that, in that medium of mm -hmm. telemarketing. Yeah, and also if, you, if you're also going the business model of one-to-many sales model, right? So you're selling to this one, selling into one company that actually has your customers, your end customers, mm -hmm. essentially. And by doing so, you're able to, to, to have a much bigger reach uh, than you having individual sales reps trying and calling individual customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a great model. So obviously, you've been in this for a very, fairly long time. You've built one business and sold it, and now you're at, at the second, you know, second venture here, and you've been at it for almost 16 years. So what are some lessons you've learned building a business um, that you think is, is, is worthwhile sharing? Um, gosh, that's a good question, uh, and there's been a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when, just like a, a direct mail campaign or a telemarketing campaign or any kind of campaign where you're investing money to test to see if what the response is going to be, mm -hmm. it's a test. So I would have to say to learn to measure and mm -hmm. to make sure that you're measuring. Do not do a campaign that isn't going to uh, give you some type of re report back as to the effectiveness of that. Mm -hmm. You're going to take a risk by doing a campaign. And so, in with business, uh, you know, I'm always testing and trying different things. Mm -hmm. um, so the key is to fail fast. Mm. If you can measure something and you can determine the effectiveness of it quickly, then you can decide if it's something you should continue on. Mm. Um, it's a risk that you take. With anybody who is in business, uh, whether it's a small business startup or have been doing it for a while, I think they learn, you know, they're not gonna just throw good money after bad. They need mm -hmm. to know how, how good or bad it is. I like to put, you know, for every dollar that I invest in a marketing of some sort, I like to get $10 back. Mm. Um, and then if I can measure that return on that one dollar then I can determine mm -hmm. you know if can it's something that it? yeah compared to what other mediums and advertisement and, and marketing mm -hmm. so um, we have within our industry of the reseller industry, we also have different segments mm -hmm. so we focus on a variety of different techniques to reach those people to deliver good product, products and services to them mm -hmm. uh, which is a part of marketing so yeah I would say that the, the the thing that I learned over my years has been to to do my best in and, and learning from the things that I'm testing mm -hmm. and really being comfortable with the results if and if, if it's a it's a disaster mm -hmm. so um, once you kind of uh, you know, know that you know this is a test, and you're gonna, it's going to cost you five, ten, twenty-five thousand dollars. Once you realize that this is something that I'm going to learn from, and stop if it doesn't work, mm -hmm. then you can then you can proceed uh, and, and have some level of comfort. So yeah, I think it was Peter Drecker who may have said, "What you don't measure, you can't optimize." Right. So if you don't have a good, you know, you need to know what you're measuring for, and then you better you better be tracking what mm -hmm. those key metrics are, and then you can reassess how effective those things were. Um, so obviously, you one of the lessons that you learned is you know make sure that you, you're you're taking good risks, but you have a good way to track whether or not that was effective, and then optimizing accordingly. Yeah. Um, obviously, you have you're a businessman, you're a father, you have so many other responsibilities. What are some of the things that you do to stay productive, and how do you manage your time? Are there any any productivity hacks that you you can share? Um, yeah, you know you've got to be organized, and mm -hmm. I think you get better at it. I would say that. Um, do something you enjoy. Mm. Uh, that's probably the best advice I could give. Do something you enjoy. 
or find something that you enjoy and do more of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I am a father, uh, and I, I, I embrace fatherhood. I love it. It's, an, it's, a, it's a big part of my life. I, I don't necessarily blend my business, in my particular business, mm -hmm. with, with, my, with my family, but uh, I, I think being organized and, and, and keeping a schedule is, is, is a key part to, mm -hmm. um, uh, to uh, being successful at that. Uh, simplifying everything if mm -hmm. you can and not trying to book your entire weekend mm -hmm. with activities you know having that open time and that space I'm personally more productive in the morning mm -hmm. I, uh, I my mind is more productive in the morning so I get up early mm -hmm. and uh, while I'm having my coffee I, I you know I, I do a lot of thinking and uh, a lot of planning and um, much more creative in that in mm -hmm. that uh, in that, that realm so um, you know obviously exercise is great you know it's helpful to just escape from that uh, that 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 routine, but mm -hmm. yeah, uh, transcendental meditation. If you if you're into that, that's mm -hmm. a good another good thing to, to partake partake in. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, you have the responsibility of running a business, and you 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 also carry you know sales quota and things of that nature, right? So you basically, what are some of the things that you've you've implemented within the organization? So you're focused on the growth of the company and the strategic objectives of the company, as opposed to, you know being pulled into so many directions that are maybe important but not necessarily, like maybe urgent but not necessarily important. What are some of the, you know, guardrails that you've implemented in, in terms of prioritizing what you do as a leader? Um, I'm a, uh, you know, BB Direct is a, is a, is a sales consulta uh, consultative type business. Mm -hmm. We have a sales team, we have a, a managerial support team for the sales team, we have mm -hmm. a production department that mm -hmm. handles the, um, the behind the scenes work that uh, the sales team brings in. Mm -hmm. um, and so giving proper feedback to the sales team to make sure that they know how they're performing mm -hmm. is really key. I'm the type of manager leader that uh, really kind of leans on the individuals to work the best, work the way that they feel uh, is most productive. Most of my sales team work f from home office mm -hmm. and, and really it's difficult to micromanage that type of individual. So I give them uh, feedback, a daily feedback of their uh, sales performance. Mm -hmm. I do measure outbound calls and activity on some of the, um, the online, uh, the CRM system that we do. Mm -hmm. they, they do get some reporting, but I really lean on on them to decide how they can work effectively and best. Mm -hmm. uh, best. And, and, and I, I'm of a believer that if there's several salespeople, you know, they work differently. They, one's mm -hmm. uh, very, very, very involved with their family, mm -hmm. so they have to have some level of flexibility with their schedule. Mm -hmm. And and if I can provide that to them, I know that they're going to work and perform better mm -hmm. because it's it's a, it's a benefit that they have that they may not get elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So uh, different people work differently, but I personally have found that uh, I work best with people who can self-manage their their, mm -hmm. their own ability and and they they want to they want to be successful. They want to uh, in a way that that gives them the best return. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I feel that um, uh, so that, that that's that's the best thing that I've I've done is is develop that ability to to really understand what they're what they're good at and mm -hmm. and help them uh, nurture their their best ability yeah hire good people who are self-starters uh, capable of managing their own time and their own output and then give them coaching and, and feedback in terms of what they can do to improve and then provide a lot more flexibility so they have they they feel much more you know committed to the company for for offering those kind of flexibility yeah I think I think people's uh, people that, that, that work with me uh, I think they love their job they mm -hmm. love their their, their employment uh, they enjoy what they're doing at BB direct and therefore they're going to do their best to maintain that position in the company mm -hmm. you know that's that's uh, it's a it's a win-win uh, relationship
if you had to do it again, right? So obviously you've been at it for over 16 years. If you had to do it again, what would some of the, what would be some of the things that you would do differently? Obviously, there's a lot of things that we do, and only in hindsight we realize that it's you know it wasn't maybe the best decision. <laughs> Knowing that um, if you do something repetitively mm -hmm. with 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 uh, with diligence uh, and dedication, you're going to get better at it. Mm -hmm. I uh, I find that the more I do whatever it is I'm doing, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm getting increasingly better. I may, be, I may not be have, have the best skills in some areas, but, I, but if I keep doing it, I know I'll get better at it. I'll get mm -hmm. more comfortable with it, for sure. Back when I, when I first started BB Direct, I, I focused on the things that I, I, I was already comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to fashion a business enterprise around those skill sets. Uh, so if I could do it all over again, mm -hmm. I would probably be a more of a quick study on the competitors and what they're doing. Uh, and how they're doing it, mm -hmm. and even if it was painful and difficult at first, mm -hmm. I would still focus on that because I knew that I, I would get much better at that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true with with every, anything in life. You know, if if you focus on doing something that you really feel you need to do, you're going to get better at it no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that would probably be the biggest thing that I would change is is, is just the knowledge of um, knowing that I'm going to get better if I just keep doing that. Mm -hmm. you know? Do you invest into any like business coaching or or part of like a a peer group or anything like that to kind of sharpen your mind and also to get insights from other people in the business? Um, I do a lot of reading and I participate online mm -hmm. with a, 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 um, you know, a membership type driven um, uh, groups, if you will, mm -hmm. um, of the same interest, but I, I, don't, I don't have a, a personal coach, if you will. So no, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not so dedicated to that necessarily. Um, it's time is time is money and it's, yeah. and it's valuable. I try to focus on on I'm very self-taught mm -hmm. in in my educating uh, myself about the products and services that I deliver and I lean on my vendors to kind of educate me on how how these different products are evolving and, and, and changing and the limitations of those products and obviously with my client base mm -hmm. I, I talk with clients and get a good understanding of, of, of what's working for them and, and why mm -hmm. and so um, there, there, while there's probably a, a lot of uh, different programs and classwork that, that could be taken, mm -hmm. um, I, have, I haven't gotten the best benefit from it, from mm -hmm. the ones that I've tested, so I don't, I don't formally um, pay a membership for a certain click, you know, click if you will, mm -hmm. to kind of stay abreast of those things. I kind of, uh, I kind of uh, uh, lean on my vendors and my clients to, mm -hmm. to kind of help me. So you, you, like Brian, you were talking earlier about, hey, you know, when you're, whatever campaigns you do, you gotta have some measurements and you gotta test it and then you gotta reassess if it worked or you know, change, the, change the course. Um, so if you had a million dollars in terms of um, going and investing in your business, how would you, how would you invest that today? You know, if 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 you're if 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 someone was just going to just give me a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, more than than I than I had unexpectedly, perhaps, um, I think the first thing I would do would probably sit on it for a little bit and, mm -hmm. and think about it. I wouldn't necessarily just immediately just go out and start spending this money, but uh, to to invest in something particular, a uh, million dollars would allow me to uh, test a variety of different things. I would um, probably uh, develop a YouTube channel, which I'm actually developing right now. I would probably invest in uh, having somebody manage a number of different campaigns that while I do today, mm -hmm. I usually do one at one at a time methodically as opposed to doing all, all of them, you know, multiple uh, different tests. I probably would. I would probably um, 
try to wean off some of the things that I'm doing today that are very time-consuming mm -hmm. and I'm not necessarily uh, uh, necessarily the best at today mm -hmm. and I would try to focus more on uh, some of the clients that we work with to nurture those relationships delegate maybe some of the activities that I do today to someone else with that with that million dollars mm -hmm. I would continue to do a lot of what I already do mm. um, which is a lot of, of um, hands-on dedicated work toward helping customers mm -hmm. and developing some inroads into more of those kinds of customers so that I can uh, I can just hone the skill of the sales team mm -hmm. to help those customers. Makes sense. Are there any YouTube channel or uh, books or anything that you recommend to business leaders? Coffee with Closers. <laughs> it's a great YouTube channel. It actually really is. Um, I uh, I don't have a I'm not I'm not a big subscriber of mm -hmm. of uh, YouTube channels in my industry per se. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the YouTube channels that I watch are probably more interest in outside of work type activities mm -hmm. and hobbies and interests really. So yeah, I, I can't say that I, I have. You know, there's there's a there's a, a lot of books out there that mm -hmm. I would that I would recommend. Uh, not any particular one come off off the off the cuff. Uh, that I could I could offer you, but understood. Is there any closing closing parting wisdom that you can share our audience? You know, we try to learn from our, our mistakes, and you're it's it's very difficult to to not uh, grow and evolve and 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 learn if you don't try to take thing take risks and and to try new things. And so, um, I would say, like I had said earlier, when you're when you're in business and you're and you're attempting to make some leaps and bounds and growth and, and stay relevant to your customers in this in this ever changing uh, world, to take risks and to um, and to know that. Uh, whatever you're doing, if you continue to do that, you're going to get better at it. Mm -hmm. uh, and don't be afraid to tackling something new and being, you know, second or third in uh, as good as maybe some of the other folks because you're 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 going to get better at it as if mm -hmm. you continue to do that. Learn from your competition and continually to test and take new risks. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate you joining me today. My pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.